Good morning and a very warm welcome to this time of worship, the time when we acknowledge the worth of ourselves, of one another and all creation. And a special welcome to all those who will be listening to the podcast later on. We begin by lighting our actually virtual chalice uh, candle. I forgot to bring the chalice up from downstairs. Um, The symbol of our worldwide Unitarian Universalist community. We light this chalice grateful for the love that we experience in this beloved community. May the flame light the way for all who seek abundance. And some opening words from Bet Vianetti. As we gather together this morning, may we learn to recognise and affirm the pieces of possibility, the bits of good we bring. May we encourage rather than control, love rather than possess, enable rather than envy, allowing our individual gifts to weave a patchwork of peace, the soft deep blue of sensitivity and understanding, the white heat of convictions, the risky fragile green of new growth, the golden flashes of gratitude the warm rose of love. Each of us is indispensable if we are to minister to a broken and wounded world. Together, in our gathered diversity, we form the whole. So be it. The first uh, reading that I'd like to share with you this morning uh, is taken from a book by the Vietnamese Zen Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh uh, is called Living Buddha, Living Christ. But he's a, a Buddhist monk, but he spent most of his life in France in exile, and so he's been familiar with the kind of Christian story as well. In this book, he's tried to look at what both Jesus and the Buddha have to offer. And this first part begins with not a very good view of uh, a Christian minister. Um, It's called The First Supper, sectional to be grateful. During a conference on religion and peace, a Protestant minister came up to me towards the end of one of our meals together and said, are you a grateful person? I was surprised. I was eating slowly and I thought to myself, yes, I am a grateful person. The minister continued, if you are really grateful, how can you not believe in God? God has created everything we enjoy, including the food we eat. Since you do not believe in God, you are not grateful for anything. I thought to myself, I feel extremely grateful for everything. Every time I touch food, whenever I see a flower, when I breathe fresh air, I am always grateful. Why would he say that I am not? I had this incident in mind many years later when I proposed to friends at Plum Village, that's the centre that he um, lives in in France, that we celebrate a Buddhist Thanksgiving Day every year. On that day, we practice real gratitude, thanking our mothers, fathers, ancestors, friends and all beings for everything. 
If you meet that Protestant minister, I hope you will tell him that we are not ungrateful. We feel deeply grateful for, for everyone and everything. Every time we eat a meal, gratitude is our practice. We are grateful for being together as a community. We are grateful that we have food to eat and we really enjoy the food and the presence of each other. We feel grateful through the meal and throughout the day and we express this by being fully aware of the food and living every moment deeply. This is how I try to express my gratitude to all of life. Mindful, meeting, mindful eating is an important practice. It nourishes awareness in us. Children are very capable of practicing with us. In Buddhist monasteries, we eat our meals in silence to make it easier to give our full attention to the food and to the other members of the community who are present. As we chew each morsel of food thoroughly, at least 30 times, to help us to be truly in touch with it. Eating this way is very good for the digestion. Before every meal, a monk or nun recites the five contemplations. This food is the gift of the whole universe, the earth, the sky, and much hard work. May we live in a way that is worthy of this food. May we transform our unskillful states of mind, especially that of greed. May we eat only food that nourishes us and prevent illness. May we accept this food for the realisation of the way of understanding and love. Then we can look at the food deeply in a way that allows it to become real. Contemplating our food before eating in mindfulness can be a real source of happiness. Every time I hold a bowl of rice, I know how fortunate I am. I know that 40,000 children die every day because of the lack of food and that many people are lonely without friends or family. I visualise them and feel deep compassion. You don't need to be in a monastery to practice this. You can practice at home in your, at your dinner table. Eating mindfully is a wonderful way to nourish compassion and it encourages us to do something to help those who are hungry and lonely. We needn't be afraid of eating without having the TV, radio, newspaper or a complicated conversation to distract us. In fact, it is wonderful and joyful to be completely present with our food. Some thoughts from Thich Nhat Hanh. The second reading I'd like to share with you today is from uh, a book, the subtitle which is The Three Essential Prayers. Now they, they usually have very fancy titles, you know, intercession and all that stuff. And we, she calls it Help, Thanks, Wow. So by a woman called Anne Lamotte. A lot of us religious types go around saying thank you to God when we find a good parking space or locate the house keys or the wandering phone or finally get a good night's sleep. And while that may be annoying to the people around us, it's important because if we are lucky, gratitude becomes a habit. You say thank you when something scary has happened in your beloved and screwed up family and you all came through, or most of you did. And you have found love in the intergenerational ruins, maybe a lot of love, 
or just enough. Or you can look at what was revealed in the latest Mass and you say thanks for the revelation because it shows you some truth you needed to know and that can be so rare in our families, let alone in our culture, our world, our marriages and and in our relationships with our teenagers and with ourselves. You say thank you for lifting this corner of the curtain so I can see the truth, maybe for just a moment, but in a way that might change my life forever. And that moment is astonishing because everything is taking place all at once, the micro and the macro. You walk through the glittering city and gaze up at the heavens, and yet down here you can see clearly what you have in your hands, or even what you have lost. Most of us figure out by a certain age, some of us later than others, that life unspools in cycles, some lovely, some painful, but in no predictable order. So you could have lovely, painful, and painful again, which I think we all agree is not at all fair. You don't have to like it, and you're always welcome to file a brief with the complaints department. But if you've been around for a while, you know that much of the time, if you are patient and are paying attention, you will see that God will restore what the locusts have taken away. Some thoughts by Anne Lamott. Today's thoughts were inspired not by a trip to my famous cafe, uh, but by one of my other obsessions, uh, Radio 4. The, the outgoing, the ex, as from today, the former chief rabbi, Lord Sachs, uh, the new chief rabbi of the United Hebrew Congregations, was, uh, is being inducted today. Um, but the, the previous uh, chief rabbi, Lord Sachs, was speaking on Thought for the Day, on the Today programme, Uh, And he referred to a recent BBC Horizon programme on the truth about personality. Part of the findings of a recent study discussed in the programme showed that optimists, on average, lived seven and a half years longer than pessimists. Which only goes to prove, joked Rabbi Sachs, that the pessimists were right. The programme had apparently also shown that there are two practices that help people have a more optimistic view of life. One is meditation and the other having a sense of gratitude or thanksgiving, or what the psychologists call cognitive bias modification, i.e. seeing the positive in life. Lord Sachs reminded his listeners that both meditation and thankfulness were central to most religions. I was reminded, however, of a story that I heard, I think possibly from Rabbi Sachs himself, of the difference between the Jewish and Christian attitude to saying grace at meals. At an interfaith gathering, the local rabbi was invited to say grace at the beginning of the meal. Now, and this may symbolise the different theological understandings of Judaism and Christianity, While Christians are happy to give thanks for what they are about to receive, Jews only give thanks for what's already on the table. 
the rabbi was in a bit of a quandary. How, he, how could he give thanks when the table at this point was bare? They hadn't brought the soup in yet. Then he spotted that in the midst of the table decoration was a small bunch of grapes. Ah, oh, thank you, Lord, he whispered under his breath. And then in full voice recited the Hebrew prayer, Baruch atah Adonai Eloenu Melech Haolem Bore Pri Hagofen. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth fruit from the vine. So at least he could give thanks for the grapes. A good example of the fact that we have to keep our eyes open to recognize the things that we should be thankful for. In our reading from Tichnat Han, we see how the spirit of mindfulness meditation nurtures a deep sense of gratitude. Meditation and thankfulness are linked. As we heard, we feel grateful throughout the meal and throughout the day. And we express this by being fully aware of the food and living every moment deeply. This is how I try to express my gratitude to all of life. That idea of gratitude flowing out of deep attentiveness to the world and all that's in, that's in it, and my part in it, is also reflected on by Anne Lamott, as we heard in our second reading. You can look at what was revealed in the latest mess, and you say, Thank you for the revelation, because it shows you some truth that you need to know. You say thank you for lifting this corner of the curtain so I can see the truth, maybe just for a moment, but in a way that might change my life forever. The great Christian mystic Meister Eckhart said that if the only prayer you ever uttered was thank you, that would be sufficient. So it seemed that it might be good for my spiritual development to explore further the idea of gratitude as a spiritual practice and the benefits that might flow from being grateful. When I searched the literature, I must confess that I did come across a few slightly flaky pseudo-psychology articles about the importance of being nice to people. But I also came across a fairly weighty, peer-reviewed article published by the American Psychological Association in 2001 uh, by a psychologist called McCulloch and his colleagues. And it begins with a quote from Cicero who said that gratitude is not only the greatest virtue but the parent of all others. And one by Seneca who succinctly said ingratitude is an abomination. McCulloch and his colleagues describe how nearly across nearly all cultures and throughout most of human history, gratitude has been treated both as a normal and a normative aspect of personality and social life. Gratitude is a highly prized human disposition in Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist and Hindu thought. The quotation from Cicero Gratitude is not only the greatest virtue, but the parent of all others, suggests that people who are grateful for benefits they have received are expected to act in ways 
that would be beneficial to themselves, other individuals, and perhaps society at large. Conversely, as Seneca's quote exemplifies, ingratitude has been considered a moral failure. McCulloch relates how one of the first in-depth psychological treatments of gratitude was by the 18th century Scottish philosopher Adam Smith, who, deeply influenced by Christian writers and the Roman Stoics, maintained that human emotions were put in place to provide individuals with guidance for moral judgments and moral behaviour. In this context, Smith proposed gratitude to be one of the most basic social emotions, and that feelings of gratitude are crucial to maintain a healthy society. But one of the studies that uh, McCulloch referred to, studied by um, a chap called Ortono, caused me to think about my own sense of gratitude. But they suggested that gratitude is determined by three aspects of how people perceive acts of kindness. Gratitude is more likely when a benefactor's action is judged as praiseworthy, i.e. I approve of his actions. Now, that to me seemed a bit obvious, really. I'm not going to be grateful for something that I don't approve of. The second aspect, and it was this one that made me stop and think, is that gratitude is more likely when a benefactor's actions deviate from role-based expectations. So when you don't expect someone to be nice to you, you're more grateful. But is the reverse of that that if you do expect someone to be nice to you, then we're not grateful. So how often do we not give thanks to the people that we kind of expect to be nice to us? Is there a danger I just simply take people for granted? My mother's nodding. Yeah. <laughs> the third aspect is that gratitude is more likely when the outcome of the benefactor's action is judged as personally favourable. Now again, this might seem obvious, but again it made me stop and think. How often have I thought that someone's action was not favourable when I later discovered that it was? Am I truly thankful to people who try to protect me from myself? And are there times when in my eagerness to be thanked by another, I avoid giving them the help they need and give them the help they want. Robert Emmons, one of the co-authors of McCulloch's paper and one of the leading psychologists studying this subject of gratitude, argues that gratitude has two key components. First, he writes, it's an affirmation of goodness. We affirm that there are good things in the world, gifts and benefits we've received. And secondly, we recognise that the source of this goodness is outside of ourselves. We acknowledge that other people, or even higher powers, if you were a spiritual mindset, gave us many gifts to help us achieve the goodness in our lives. He also stresses the social dimension of gratitude. He describes it as a relationship-strengthening emotion because it requires us to see how we have been supported and affirmed by other people. 
We see ourselves in the context of others. And studies by Emmons and McCulloch have looked at the benefits to our physical, psychological and spiritual well-being when we practice gratitude. As was referred to by Rabbi Sachs, gratitude has been shown to boost feelings of optimism, joy, pleasure and enthusiasm and has also been shown to reduce anxiety and depression. Emmons has also shown that being grateful is good for our physical health, strengthening the immune system, lowering blood pressure, reducing symptoms of illness. Being grateful has also been shown to make us more forgiving and to pass on acts of kindness to to ourselves by being more helpful and altruistic and compassionate to others. Now at this point, I need to confess that my Scottish genes predispose me more to pessimism than to optimism. But, after all, pessimists are the real optimists, for we expect nothing, and therefore are always pleasantly surprised and grateful when things go well. So there may be a bit of my cynical, pessimistic side that is slightly wary of all the benefits of gratitude. Will I start being very grateful only so that I can get the benefits? Well, I don't think that's what Emmons is saying. The positive effects of my body and mind are not a reward for me being grateful. They are the natural consequence of me being grateful. If I fake it, it's not genuine gratitude, and therefore I won't experience the benefits of being thankful. So is this ability to be thankful innate, or can we cultivate it? Well, it's obviously not innate, or parents and teachers would not have to utter these immortal words, what do you say, when a child is given anything. Emmons agrees that being, feeling grateful is a skill we can develop with practice, reaping its rewards along the way. He suggests the following effective ways for cultivating gratitude. Keep a gratitude journal. Record three to five things for which you are grateful each day. Write a gratitude letter to an important person in your life whom you've never properly thanked. Savour the good in life. Don't just gloss over the beauty and pleasures that come your way. And try to focus on intentions. When you receive a gift, or when something good happens to you in general, consider how someone tried on purpose to bring that goodness into your life. This goes a long way to cultivating an attitude of gratitude in our lives. Useful tips to develop our thankfulness muscle. But encouraging you all to be thankful, I might be causing another problem. Because if you're all going to be thankful, then you, some of you are going to be thanked. And how do you feel about being thanked? Do you generously accept the thanks or get embarrassed, dismissing the thanker by insisting, oh, it was nothing? Though clearly the thanker felt otherwise. Susan Christ Whitbourne, another American psychologist, 
gives us a few tips on receiving thanks. If someone thanks you, accept the thanks graciously. Let the person know that you appreciate being thanked. And if you find it difficult, think about why gratitude makes you uncomfortable. Is it because you don't feel worthy of being thanked? I began by quoting from Lord Sachs and the recognition of the link between meditation and thankfulness. Meditation may seem like cutting ourselves off from the world, but in truth it's about enabling us to be more attentive to the world. And when we are more attentive, we are more aware of the innumerable things that we should be thankful for. I just want to end by reading another short passage from Anne Lamott's book, which I think shows the link between real attention and thanksgiving. I pray for the change in perception that will let me see bigger and sweeter realities. My friend Mason, who is 15 and has brain cancer, had a massive bleed 18 months ago. He was in a coma, and then for many months in a deeply silent condition where it seemed to me, but not to his mother, that he was brain damaged. One day, his mother emailed me a video from Mason's rehab hospital in Texas titled, Mason Singing. My heart leapt. His brother had filmed him in music therapy, sitting in a wheelchair between his mother and his therapist, who was playing He's Got the Whole World in His Hands. At the end of every line, Mason would make a sound that was close to hands, and everyone cheered. I inwardly groaned having imagined something so different, so much better. Later that morning, I went up alone to my praying place. I called out, Hello, Mother. Then I prayed for a glimpse of wisdom. By the time I got to the bottom of the hill, I was amazed that Mason, silent for so long, had sung. There is singing and there is singing. Mason is back in school now. Thank you for listening. So go now in peace. Deeply regard each other. Truly listen to each other. Speak what, you, what each of you must speak. Be ready in any moment to disarm your own heart. And always live as if a realm of love had begun. So be it. Blessed be. Amen.